thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today, it's about Kimmy, the tart in progress. <laughs> Actually, no, you're not even in progress. You already is one. You're fully fledged, fully blown, uh-huh. oh, fully complete. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what did I just say then? <laughs> No, you're not even in progress. You're the you're a tick. You're you're the tart <laughs> is complete. A tick. You're a tick. I a like little that. Right. tick. Right. Yeah, I like the tick. And <laughs> I, I actually think um, we were going to start with a champagne pop. Mm. Yeah, we were going to start with. There we go. There it is. There's the champagne pop. That's considering <laughs> none of us drink the champagne. It was so funny because Karen said, "Let." <laughs> Princess doesn't know how to do one, does she? She doesn't like things in her mouth that I can't. And she chew. can't chew, and she can't chew her finger. That's correct. Yes, that is correct. Next, you know, thing. You next, you know. Next, we know you'll be doing an armpit fart. I don't do that, Karen. No, no. You do that? <laughs> Can you do that? No, I can't do them. I you can't do them. grills? I, I know my brothers be able to do it all the time. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> you look like a little chicken there flapping your little wing. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> but anyway, we were going to start with the champagne. And, and then Kim goes, well, are you going to drink it? Oh, no. No? So we decided just do a pop. <laughs> so we're doing a champagne pop because Kim has just had her best month. Ever. Ever. So, and and this podcast is all about Kim and and your journey, Kim, and your business because I just loved. Uh, I love. Look, I love Karen's story. I thought it was. In- I love anybody's story because I always learn something from it. Mm. So, where did your story begin, Kimmy? Tell us, love. Yes, tell us. How far back do you want to go? Well, well I'm thinking about. Um, also, back in 1930. <laughs> Around then? <laughs> when I was just a woofer of my man's tweaker. Is that what it is? Oh, love? Really? What did you just say? Repeat? No. Oh, good. Okay. Clearly. Was your old man alive in 1930? So it must have been your grandfather's. <laughs> so, okay, so this is the, this is the podcast yep. about the tart. So clearly there's going to be a lot of tartnicity. Well, you know, I behave so well on the Wellness Guys podcast that I kind of need to make up for a couple, really, don't I? Okay, okay. go, go. No. <laughs> you did. You did behave. There was there was nothing. There was a little bit of sass in there, but nothing. Well, you know, I, I, I trust our Up For A Chat audience. They yeah. kind of, they've got to know us after 70 or podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> they know anything to come out of your mouth. That's exactly, and it usually does. And I don't after mean it it's been and in. Well, <laughs> and I've often thought about it after it's. It's yes, he said. After, mm. Correct. So after speaking, what, what, what yes. did my darling Fleur always say to me? A closed mouth gathers no feet. <laughs> mm. And Fleur was good at that, keeping her mouth closed, mm. while you opened yours. Mm. Well, she just kind of fixed the She just fixed path. the problem. I love the problems <laughs> that she used to fix. So um, what do you think? Where's a good place to start? Where did, when did you start um, even thinking about having a business? 
When did that all happen? Um, I mean, my mum... I, I grew up, obviously, in Auckland, but with a mum and a dad and, and a brother and a sister. I was the oldest. My mother had me at 16. So I grew up very aware that I had a very pretty and a very beautiful mum. A lot of my friends always used to say, well, your mum's so pretty. And I just thought that was normal till I started seeing mum was fit and healthy. I mean, she was only 17 years older than me. So, you know, and and because my mum was so young, I think we ended up growing up together. Oh, yeah. So my mum went through a lot. You know, she had quite a a tough upbringing. Um, And... You know, met my dad, and I think, and I think I could speak this quite honestly that they, they just happened to meet. I don't know if it was love at first sight. I don't think it was one of those unbelievably romantic. I think they both saved each other from something, and as a consequence, had three children. But their marriage wasn't what I'd call a happy marriage. It wasn't an easy marriage, and I don't think they understood each other very well at all. How long were they married for? I think 11 or 12 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, right. But they had a business. I remember being um, about eight or nine. When I was nine, I had a very big year, a very tough year. Um, And it was my mum and dad split up that year. Um, It had come out that I had been sexually abused and I had to go through a whole court case. And my beautiful nana passed away, my mother's mother. So at nine, I, I didn't mm. realise she passed away that early. Mm. Yeah, she and she was only forty nine, with a a massive heart attack. So I remember that year when I was nine. I remember it very clearly, and I remember being at her funeral, not understanding much about the world at all, but also realising there were a lot of fractious relationships and a lot of. Um, broken hearts and a lot of there was a lot of pain and turmoil but I was for you yeah I think because I just wanted everyone to be happy I think that was I always thought I should make everyone you know everyone should be happy and there shouldn't be badness I had a bit of a Pollyanna view on life I think and I've always been told I have a bit of a rose tinted glass outlook what what impact did your childhood experiences have on you if that was your outlook it's funny isn't it because you would think with those sorts of things happening that mm. I could easily go the other way. I'm wondering whether it was because my mum had to step up and she had to work three jobs and I just kind of stepped right in behind her and was her right-hand person. I think that's... I grew up very quickly. Mum was working three jobs and I was nine and looking after my sister and brother while she worked three different jobs to maintain us. She had no nothing to fall back on. She had no family help. She had no... We didn't have cousins or aunties and uncles. It was us, the four of us. So, and I was running the home, cooking meals, vacuuming and doing everything, you know, that I could to help mum. I knew if my mum was happy, the home was happy. Um, And I was very conscious of that. And she did not have it easy. And I remember thinking how tough it was and all I wanted was for my mum to be happy um my sister was she's she's a gorgeous soul she's she she was an amazing young woman a young girl really very (laughs) my sister always speaks out speaks the truth she's the voice in the family tells everyone what she thinks of them how she thinks of them and what should be done um and it's thanks to her that you know that guy ended up going to prison for what he did to me 
um, because I was too afraid to say anything. So, so this wasn't a family member. No, but he was known. He was a neighbour. Right. Um, and yeah, it was a very. I openly talk about it because I think the way my mother handled it is she made it very aware that it was not my fault. And I think because he was then, I went through the court case, and then because he was found guilty and actually went to prison, I probably, I don't know if I conscious, I don't think I consciously at nine went, oh, good, it's not my fault. I just consciously went, right, well, that's finished, let's move on. It's interesting, actually, that you talk about it that way because it's almost like you got to see it through completion. There was no part that was incomplete for you. So you, you actually got to see the whole thing play out, which then allows you to move forward mm. rather than staying stuck in the experience. Mm. There was two other incidences with two mm. other men. It's amazing what happened as a young woman, but I think because that one had gone through to that point, I could kind of... And I never spoke to my mother about it, the, the other two until I was a teenager, and, and it kind of made me very aware as I've become a mother... Just, just, she's a lioness. Oof. Yeah, you just touch her realize. child, but you don't realise what, mm. how manipulative people can be mm. to mm. create opportunities that young children do not have the power to control or mm. to even be see. see it. And often it's a trusted um, person, either a relative or a teacher, or I knew well, yeah, or a neighbour or someone who makes sure that they're there to look like someone who is helping mm. so that you th- like you hear it all the time mm. Mm. so what do you think that that did for you or that whole experience of growing up so quickly and you know being the carer and and wanting your mum to be happy and you knew that if she was happy everything would be okay and 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 your experiences what do you think that all of that did for you in the terms in terms of how it created you, how did that make you who you then went on to become? I don't know. I I, I don't think about it very much. I just think I, well, I go into action. For me, it's just one foot in front of the other, get, get out there, just keep moving, keep doing something, keep... Don't stay still, you know. We moved, I think, 11 times when I was a young child. 11 or 12 times in the space of only a few years. So I felt like we were constantly moving and constantly um, things were always changing. So, and yet I always felt really secure. Like I don't look at my childhood and go, I had a tough upbringing. Yeah. I know it was challenging, but I don't look at it and go, oh, my mother, oh, my father, they owe me. Or No, I don't. I don't have that feeling at all. If anything, I feel like my childhood made me. Mm. You know, like it made me strong. It made me accountable. It made me... I mean, I remember a lady saying to my mother once, um, you never let her have a childhood. I remember overhearing that. And I remember thinking, that's not true. I I feel stronger than I've ever felt. You know, I think I make decisions based on having to step up. I don't don't look at my life. You know, I I even said it to my children the other day. after that podcast we had where I had that near miss, I actually said to them that night, if anything happened to me, I just want you to know at my funeral, and you can tell the world that I really feel that I lived my life. You know, there's mm. things that are undone. Mm-hmm. Like there's things, I'd, you know, on my bucket list I'd still love to achieve, but I would not go to my grave regretting or thinking that I haven't had a full, amazing life. So I felt really, that feels really nice being mm. able to say mm. that. Are there things I could do better? There's things I would 
probably in hindsight change maybe, but not not really. Not even what not even the tough things. So your brother and your sister and yourself lived in the same household. You had a very um, Pollyanna view on life, and I think you still do. I think you always see life as as something that's brilliant and you're always happy and um, it's, it's very rare to see you sad, actually. I don't often see you that way. And But what about your siblings? Did they have the same... Did they have the same view on life after the life? Did they view your childhood the same or differently? Or their childhood the same or differently like you did? I think you'd have to ask them. Yeah. I mean, my perception is, is that... They both struggled in different ways and they both had challenges in different ways and they both had great things in different ways. My sister was so naughty. She was so naughty. She stole my mother's car at 13. She was the one caught smoking behind the sheds. She was the one drinking at 15, you know. like. But she was also the one that I said spoke out and she was also the one that um, made us laugh and... She called a spade a spade, and I really admire her, and she still to this day is like that. My brother, he was he was three when I remember Dad leaving, and I don't think he really was aware of what happened, obviously, and he was just always like, Aaron, he was there, you know, and him and I have a very close relationship. We all have a different relationship, but like you with your sister and brother, different, but when we're all together, there's a, there's a bond that you just cannot break, mm-hmm. and... We, we have, a, as a family, we have our moments and, and it's tough and we all argue and we fight and we all get annoyed with each other. But I know if the chips were down, every one of us would be there for each other. And I think that's the true meaning of family. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, my brother tends to probably not express um, particularly negative emotions very much. He, he'd rather just, it's been done, move on. He's very in the moment, which I love. I really admire that. He doesn't look back and go, it's not fair, how come? Never. doesn't go there. And if I ever do, he goes, well, it is what it is. That's his favourite line. It is what it is. Mm. And I quite like that. He's oh, very, yeah. It's very grounding It's for refreshing me. when you're caught up in the middle of all of your own... He's not drama queen at stuff. all. My sister and I tend to get a little bit more dramatic <laughs> and make it a little bit more of a drama. But, you know, I think that's girls sometimes too. But, yeah, it's, it's different. I think she we all different... No. Oh, my gosh, my sister is so... She would cringe if she heard the things I say on here. Oh, oh. right. Now, she is a very precise type. She's very private. Um, she, you know, out of all of us. And you're telling the world about her right now? She's going to kill you. No, but I'm... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not sharing, I'm not sharing too much. Um, she's, well, she's being very guarded right now. Yes, <laughs> I know. She's... She, out of all of us, you know, she was the one that was naughty at school, as I said, and she was the one that was always getting in trouble and all that sort of Yet out of all of us, she was the only one that went to university, which I think is interesting. So here she was being told by teachers she wasn't good enough and she, you know, she was too much of a troublemaker. She said, I'll show you. She did. Mm. You know, she was the one that went to uni and she's amazing with children. She, she's an early childhood educator. Um, incredible with kids. So, so what about you? Come back to you. What about... You finished school. What did you do in school? I love school. Love school. School was massive to me. It was a whole social playground. It was also a sport. Sport to me was massive. I think I've got through to where I am today because of sport. I've always been physically active. I knew at the age of eight um, on my school report, it had Kim's, uh, on my school report, Mr. Beresford wrote, special interests, 
ballet and rugby, which I think is fascinating <laughs> that today my two children are a top ballerina oh, and yeah. the other one wants to be a rugby player. I think that's quite poignant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did do ballet until I was about 15 and I loved rugby because that was the one thing I used to do with my dad was he'd wake me in the middle of the night and we'd get up and watch the All Blacks play. Um, and that was the one real fond memory I have with living with Dad was watching the All Blacks. Um, so, you know, school to me was fantastic, loved it. The first relationship I had, he, I was 14, he was 15, and we were together for five and a half years. So even though I'd had these traumatic things occur in my childhood, because of the cleaning up, because of the, the fact that I didn't feel responsible, I guess, for anything, didn't alter my relationships. In fact, if anything, I probably craved real grounding and really was selective about how I got there. Um, I'm sure some people might say I was a tart. I'm not sure, actually. Mm, mm. It'd be interesting to do um, a survey, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, but I loved, I loved learning. I loved, um, you know, biology and science were subjects that I loved. Maths I was really good at. And English I kind of fell off the wagon a bit with because I, I always felt that it was too subjective, that it was always based on opinion of other people's. So I never You're thought I could funny, write funny, and you're a writer. I know. <laughs> I know. And you write all the time. I know. It's hilarious, isn't it? It is. Um, but my favourite was phys ed. Oh, I lived for phys ed, lived for netball. I wanted to play netball at the age of eight for New Zealand. I wanted to represent my country, and I wanted to do it, and I was going to do whatever it took to get there. So from the age of eight, I, um, I watched so much netball, and I played netball, I umpired netball, and it, it, I wrote in my diary... Um, when I was 13 that I wanted to get into the Auckland team which is like a provincial team and I made it into the under 14s and then I got into the under 16s and the under 18s and so I made my way up and I got to Auckland level which was great not provincial I didn't get to the top top team because I left New Zealand by that stage but to, to get up to the ranks and actually represent my you know my state at, at while I was at school was really exciting um, and I think I just always knew that activity and being active was a really important part for me. So what happened when you finished school? Did you do year 10 and matric or the, what did you do? The equivalent in New Zealand is it was through to Form 7, which would be your equivalent of year 12. I did up until year 11. Yep. And at the year of year, end of year 11, I discovered parties and... Ah, as we do. Um, social life driving I got my license at 15 had my first car at 16 I bought it for $700 sold it two years later for 800 thought that nice. was amazing nice um, yeah I had a real um, very uh, probably I was, I was probably a lot older than my years really you know I probably felt like I probably lived quite a bit by the time I got there but I left school and wanted to get into university I wanted to go to uni but I wanted to do phys ed I wanted to become a phys ed teacher but I left it too late to enrol at that time. By the time I decided at the year of end of year eleven and went on, I um, so I thought the next best thing I want to do is travel. So I applied for a job at um, at a travel company. I got the job, and I started off as a ticketing consultant, oh, cool. um, earning one hundred and seven dollars a week. Wow! Mm-hmm. And um, and I worked my way up the ranks. And there was a lady there that ran the business that everyone was afraid of, and she reminded me a bit of my mum very strong, very determined, very beautiful woman. And I know that she saw something in me and she just kept putting out challenges to me. Well, it'd be good if someone could do that. She'd say things like that, but I guess no one in here could do it. And I'd go away and think, I could do that. And then I'd just put it on her desk and she loved that. 
and I loved the fact that then she'd give me another challenge. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I quickly went up the ranks in my travel company, and then she uh, left that company and opened a retail travel company and because she was in wholesale, and she came to me one morning and she said to me, I'm about to announce my resignation. It will be a quick resignation, and it's up to you. You've got the next 10 minutes to decide if you want to come with me. And I just said in that moment, yes. So I handed in my resignation at the same time and left with her and opened and op- was on day one, the day she opened her retail travel agency in the middle of Auckland City and worked with her for a couple of years until I decided that I wanted to go travelling. Um, but it was while I was working with her that I got to travel quite a lot. So at yeah, the age yeah. of 17, I was on educationals and what they call fam- familiarisations and I was travelling first class and business class all around the place. I didn't even know what economy looked like, really, which is why I'm such a snob when it comes to travelling. <laughs> That's a snob. <laughs> love it, love it. Mm. So then, so you you travelled around. Where did you go when you decided to leave her and, and do a bit of travel? Where did you go? What did you see? Well, what happened is I ended up then working in another travel. I got offered a job in another travel company with a girlfriend, and I decided then that I wanted to work with her. So I left her. Left. Um, um, impulse travel it was called <laughs> very impulsively I left and I ended up working for a bank travel agency and my girlfriend and I Cindy's met Lizzie hmm. she and I worked together and we were so naughty together so naughty so there was incentives if in those days if you could sell a certain amount of travel you would get you would win trips or cameras or or um, you even went into drawers to win a car and all these sorts of things and this was a trip, a first-class ticket return trip for two to Perth. And her sister was living in Perth at the time. And we decided we wanted to win those tickets. So we would have people walk into that agency and we would one would get up, the other would lock the door so that they couldn't leave. And we would have people sit there telling us they wanted to go on a trip, they wanted to buy a one-way ticket down to Christchurch. And we ended up selling them trips to Ireland or, <laughs> or contiki tours around Europe or because oh, we had to get our commissions up. <laughs> To get our free tickets, which we won, by the way. We got our first class tickets to Perth. Um, and it was while I was on that trip to Perth, she told me about a man that was playing cricket for New Zealand um, who was living with her flatmate, or her flatmate knew him very well. And I thought, cricket schmicket, who wants to go to cricket? So boring. So we went on to the Wacker, these two blondes, and the next minute she goes, come on, let's go down and we'll meet Danny. And I've just gone, no, 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 I don't want to go down to the dressing room. No, 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 no. And... What were we thinking? Two 19-year-old girls standing outside the New Zealand cricket team dressing room in Perth at the Wacker going, hi, we're from New Zealand. And the guy in his white cloak went in and said, Danny, there's two blonde nutters out there. They want to to talk to you. And he's just gone, oh, okay, it's loose Lizzie. Um, Which I might add, they had snogged at a party and she'd told me he was a great kisser. (laughs) So, um, and she decided, because I'd split up with the guy that I'd been with since I was 14, she decided that I needed a little bit of fun and a little bit of, and I thought, no, I'm so not up for this. And we got there and he walked out of the dressing room and I went, I quite like cricket. (laughs) Um, And when he hugged me to say hello, I just remember his smell. And it was just this very masculine... Yes, I Ooh. guess, but it was just... That's a little uncivilised love. I was expecting you to tell me something fabulous. No, no, no the man was sweaty. No, he was... Yeah, but it was kind of rugged, kind of... I don't know, he was he was hot. <laughs> Catherine's so that, vomiting <laughs> right now. <laughs> so at that moment, I decided I quite like cricket. Um, 
and then we met up the next night and um, and I just I, we went to a party with Lizzie and I don't remember anyone else being there and his opening line to me was that I had great calves calf muscles so <laughs> <laughs> Cindy's just written a big message start <laughs> need we say more mm. but interesting so I met up with him and we had these couple of nights because the team were in Perth and so we'd go and meet up with the team afterwards and then we had to fly home on our other first class ticket which I might add was in the days where you sat in the cockpit and we, ah, yes. we could go and sit up with the pilots and go and say hi hi and I remember sitting there, uh, that's the last time I ever drank Baileys by the way, I haven't drank Baileys since that trip, <laughs> <laughs> one of those um, <laughs> and, um, and so I returned to New Zealand and I felt lost for the first time in my life, I felt really lost I didn't, know what I, I didn't want to work and travel anymore I just wanted to be with Danny and I knew he was too young. He was 21 and I was 19, and I knew he wasn't ready for me. I, I, knew, he, we, I knew we had a great connection, but I knew there was no future at that time. So you, you were very mature in thinking that, because most girls would just go for it straight away. Yeah. But that is a maturity that I think that you really got when you were young. Mm. You know, you, you didn't have a childhood, really, when you think you did, but... In hindsight, you probably didn't, you know, bringing up your brother and sister at the age of nine. So it was that maturity which probably allowed you to wait um, that time for Danny. Mm. And, you know, we all know you married Danny. So how long was it? How long did you wait to get together? Well, this was the days without email. There was faxes back then. So or faxes, mobiles. There wouldn't be mobiles. mobiles. No. Yeah. So he, God forbid. he he rang me. So I went into work in my travel agency on the Monday morning after being in Perth. With, with and I, oh, I'll say to you, on the plane on the way home with Lizzie, in my Bailey's induced coma, <laughs> I told her <laughs> that I was going to marry that man. And she went, oh my gosh, oh no. She wanted me to have a good time, but she thought I'd now lost the plot. And she was really worried about me. And she just thought, oh, for goodness sake, snap out of it. You're too young. And I went, no, no, I want his babies. I want his babies. I want his babies. (laughs) And she said, okay, okay. And so she just tried to distract me. So when we got back to work, all the girls were asking how the trip was. And I was going, oh, it was okay, it was okay. And I decided not to say anything to anybody because I just, I didn't know where it would go. Well, about three or four hours later, the phone rang, and I'll never forget Carol that worked there, went, just a moment, please, and went, Kim, there's a guy ringing from Perth on the phone for you, and my heart skipped a million beats, and Lizzie's just looked at me, and, um, and yeah, he said to me, I can't stop thinking about you. Is there any chance you could come to Melbourne for Christmas? All the other wives and girlfriends are coming. And I kind of went, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I hung up. and That, that was, was really mature, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was really mature. I had just gone and told uh, everybody how mature you were, and then you just, he calls you and you're gone. I know. (laughs) But it wasn't at this point that I wasn't sure where it was going to go, you see. So I, um, I quit my job. I moved back home. I sold my car, and I bought a one way ticket to Perth. Uh, Sorry, to Melbourne, where all the players were going to be for the Boxing Day Test match. And. Lizzie, what we had planned was we were going to do our OE. So I was going to meet Lizzie in London. That's what sort of made me kind of do it because I knew I'd carry on to London. And it kind of gave me a ticket out if things weren't kind of working the way I wanted them to. So I remember landing in Melbourne and I remember going to the hotel and I remember Danny had said to me, remember there's no text, no fact, like I didn't get any, it was just turn up at the Hilton Hotel. 
So I arrived and I said, oh, hi, I've come to check in. My name's Kim and I want to check into Danny Morrison's room. And this woman looked at me like I was a dirty $2 cracker. Right. Actually, it's um, not dirty, love, it's skanky. Well, either way. I'm just, you know, just correcting you on that. (laughs) Let's just say she gave me that dirty look. And, um, And she said, I'm sorry, but he's already got someone in his room. And my heart just oh. died. So I didn't know what to do. I hadn't. I didn't have Plan B sorted out. I so I sat in the reception of the Hilton Hotel, waiting for the day two of the cricket test match to, or day one to finish on the Boxing Day. And he um, he walked through the doors. He was the first one to walk through the doors. Saw me, and um, just beaming and smiling. And I was just like, Oh my God, is everything all right? And it turned out that yeah, he booked me as if I was his wife. He would booked me under Mrs. Morrison, which was why the lady looked probably down her nose at me, I guess. Uh, anyway, so that was fine. Had a three-week tour around the country, travelling with all the top New Zealand and Australian cricketers around the country <laughs> at 19 years of age. And um, and then Danny's groin <laughs> was injured. Uh, not because of oh, me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he suffered a, a groin injury. He was a fast he bowler. Of course he did. <laughs> And he was sent home. And it was in that moment I made the decision that I knew I wouldn't go back to New Zealand. I didn't want to go back there. So you were in the business, because I thought this is what we're talking about, right? So you're in the business (laughs) (laughs) of... Tartnicity. Tartnicity. You got it. That's why she's called the Tart. (laughs) You reckon? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. We figured that one out. <laughs> but you didn't stick with Danny, did you? No. What I did you? No, you didn't, stick, you didn't stick. Well, I remember him coming back to the hotel that night after knowing he was injured and he had to go home and the tour was going to carry on. And he said to me, I've got to go home. And I went, I know. And he went, are you going to come with me? And I went, no. And he went, yeah, I didn't think you would. And I wanted to. I desperately wanted to. I just wanted to go off and ride on the golden horse with him for the rest of our lives. But I knew he was too much of a... He was too playful. He was too in the prime of his life to he think about He was a top-class cricketer, yeah. world-known. World, world and I think in that three weeks, mm. watching those players mm. and how they behaved, I actually don't think I wanted to be a part of it. Mm. So... Very mature. Mm, yeah. Right, you're back to being mature again, right? So anyway, the next day he was on a flight back to New Zealand. He walked out the door and we just said goodbye to each other. And I stood there really strong and really together and I watched him leave. And as he walked out the door and the door shut, I thought, you'll come back and get me. You will come back and get me. You wait. And then fell into a heap on the floor, rang my mother, Colette, and my mum said this she said um my darling if you love something set it free if it comes back it's yours and if it doesn't it never was and I'll never forget that and that helped me pick myself up now what was interesting is Danny's dad lived in Melbourne and was with a lovely lady and they had a daughter and I rang them and I went and stayed with them for a while so I kind of still felt connected but just and then by that stage Lizzie was just about ready to go to London and I was working in a gymnasium. Um, so Lizzie is who you worked for, who worked travel. with in travel. Yeah, yeah, and we were going to meet in London and do our OE and or overseas experience. And she um, she ended up ringing me and saying that she was going earlier and I didn't have any money left. I'd just been spending it all around travelling with the New Zealand cricket team. So I got a job in the gymnasium right next to where I was living and because and, I knew I loved health and fitness and I knew I could work there and... 
And it was during there that I saw a sign next door. There was a natural therapies college and there was a sign up saying 10-week remedial massage course. There was aromatherapy courses. There was naturopathy. There was um, acupuncture. There was all sorts of different courses. And I just and the cheapest course there was $160 and I had $180 in my bank account. And I booked the $160 remedial massage course. Actually, it was a relaxation massage course, and then and there I stayed for three and a half years doing course and diploma after one after the other, and and just and there was a smell when I walked in there. There was a vaporizer sitting on the counter, and there was the smell when I walked into the college, and I just knew that I had to do that course. So you st- you were living with Danny's parents all that time. His dad, his yep. dad, that whole time. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So you were never out of touch with him then. No, but you didn't hear from them. You, there was no Facebook. There was no daily contact. It yeah. was like a no monthly Christmas. letter. Oh, he'd ring on Christmas Day. Oh, I was only there for a few months because I realised after a few months I needed to get out. I needed to right, okay. move out of there and move on. So, And then by that stage, Danny, who was going to come back to Melbourne on his way through to London, he was on his way to London because he'd just got a contract to play a summer league over there. Um, he ended up having to have his wisdom teeth out and got delayed, and I was going to meet up with him over there, but I didn't have any money now, and he didn't offer to pay, so I just all of a sudden felt very alone, and I didn't want to go back to New Zealand because I felt like I'd failed myself in a way because I had nothing now. I had no money. I had nothing. Mm. So I... But you had your course. I, I started the course. Oh, you had started I'd it. I just okay. started the course, and I thought, well, stuff you lot, stuff all of you. I'm just going to study. And it was a few months later that I met Cliff Young, and my whole life changed. Mm. And oh, I've got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you think what Cliff did and, mm. and how he affected your life. And mm. He was the most... I so just... you met him at the marathon, didn't you? Mm. So to get my hours up, to get my diploma, I had to do 200 community hours working at events like the Sun Tour. I worked with the Australian Ballet. I worked with the Australian Netball. I worked with um, the Collingwood football team. Um, but I still needed quite a few hours. I think I needed about another 70-odd hours. And I thought, what's the quickest way to do that? I'll go to a couple of 24-hour races. And I turned up at this race. And um, I don't know, but Cliffy had seen me and had heard about me through the college. And he chose me and another girl, Melissa, and we worked with Cliffy on this 24-hour race, and I watched this man run a 24-hour race and win his section and set a world record for his age group. At the Amazing. age of? I don't know. What 60, he would have been. wasn't he? was 68 he was... when he did the Sydney to Melbourne race. He would have been in his 70s it, by now. Yeah. So he yeah. was amazing. Amazing. And it was him that started, I told him it was the most boring thing I'd ever seen happen. I thought watching flipping athletes run around a 400 metre track was incredibly boring and he told me to put my money where my mouth is and, and to do one and so at 20 years of age I figured I could do that so easy so I filled out the form it was all, I, I'm, as I'm listening to myself I'm thinking you give me a challenge it's like yeah that's that's the next thing it's like yeah, yeah. Give, me, give, me, give me a game give me something to work towards so can, can we just talk about this because I wouldn't do that at 20 I would, I would have gone you serious? I'm not running around a track for 24 hours. Forget that. I like mm. my sleep. I know I would be like that. And it's like you doing this challenge that we're coming up with, you know, the challenge with the, the Kokoda challenge. challenge where you've got to walk for 39 hours. Nine hours. How far? Well, you've got to do 96 Ks, but you've got 39 hours 39 to do it. 39 hours to do it. Like, I can't think of anything like worse. Rumba. But you're do it. you've decided to do it. So there has to be something um, that... that 
challenge you, you to do that and, and I it's almost like the it's almost like each challenge is like a breadcrumb and it leads you to something. Mm. So you take up the challenges but it's all gonna lead you to something and you don't you never know what it is but you just take it because it's there. Yeah, exactly. And and you do this all the time. I, you know, you do take these challenges on and I see you take them on and I go Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I remember on Facebook she was hi- you were hiking um, with your new crew to do the Kokoda Trail with, and I just put I have one thing to say to you, Kim, and, then I, and I put all this gobbledygook on there. You know, one word. You know, in one word, it was meant to say, "What are you doing? Are you a crazy person? Why would you even consider doing this?" <laughs> nuts, 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 nuts. You idiot. But you, you do, you do, yeah, you do this stuff. All right. Let's go back to you doing your 24 hours. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm trying to think. What is it that what makes me... What made you do that? Because I think... What were you thinking? But there was... It's like there's nothing else to do right there and then, so why not? It's not why should I. It's why not. I yeah, can think right. of a... Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I just don't get it. I, I mean... Yeah, right. I could think of a million other things I'd rather but I didn't. But I didn't have anything else. Yeah, okay. I don't think. So you run the marathon... So then I entered the marathon, and you guys know the story. And I, I it was a twelve-hour race, and I, that's when I started to meet Kim. That's when I really started to know who I am because I was on my own, mm-hmm. out on the track, in pain, hurting, wanting to quit, with a man in his seventies telling me winners don't quit. And you wanted to be a winner. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Not win. And certainly not in his eyes after telling him he was a loser for doing this sort of thing. Like, I was knocking him for doing it. And here he was, and he'd just, and he'd just smile. And it was like <laughs> there was this moment. I guess it's almost like a mother when she sees her daughter have a child. It's like you don't get it until mm. you're there. Yeah. You don't know what your parents went through until yeah. you've become one, really. No, you don't. Um, it's almost like that. That's what they're all talking about. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You don't know. Mm. So when and he had the smile. He was just and he used to tap his head and tap his heart and he just do this thing like it's up in the head, show some heart. Like it was that's, that was his motto. It's in your head, show some heart. So I would get back out on the track and then I'd realise that actually the pain had gone. Actually, the pain stopped now in my left ankle and now it was in my right knee. <laughs> Right, it's just, just called pain transfer. Pain tra- but it, but this, that started to intrigue me because remember I was studying anatomy and physiology at the time and I kept trying to work out how the body worked and why, how could the pain go from your left ankle to your right knee and then I'd have this conversation and then it would hurt so much I'd have a tantrum and I'd quit. And then I'd be in the pit stop tent quitting because it was hurting so much and Cliffy would come in and tap his head and point to his heart and say, well, you know, don't quit, get back out there. And put one foot in front of the other, and you'll find it changes again. It's always changing. And I went, I don't believe you. It still hurts. And I'd get back out there, and then the knee wasn't hurting now. In fact, now my left shoulder was hurting, and now the ankle wasn't hurting anymore, but now I had toenails lifting, and could I work through that? And he just said to me, pain is in the mind. The pain is controllable. You can actually work with pain. But it's how. But you've got to also be careful with pain, and this is where athletes sometimes ruin it for themselves, where you can push past the pain and create long-term injury. So he was always mm. mindful of, yeah. of where yeah. I could take it. But I think he saw something in me, like a personal trainer would see in a client, you think it's a level 10, but in fact, really, it's only a level 6. Yeah, yeah. But you think it's 10. 
until someone pushes you to a 12 in your head and now you realise actually it was only an 8. Mm. So I think that was the beauty. And I kept finding new things about myself and I kept thinking, if I can do this, well, hang on a minute, I've just been whinging for the last four laps and yet I've just walked another kilometre. So, and I remember when they said to me with an hour to go, Kim, you're out the front, I thought, holy heck, I have not run 11 hours not to win this, mother. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and I found an inner strength that I ran the last hour of that race quicker than I ran the first hour and I'm not saying I did it gracefully I'm not saying I looked pretty by any means I didn't but when I won that running 95.4 k's I didn't even believe it when I heard it I didn't think wow I just I ran I've never run beyond 10 k's in my life and here I was I just ran 95.4 in 12 hours in 12 hours yeah oh so you'll easily do that um that um Dakota challenge yeah. yeah you'll be fine yeah, but I was 20 at that point. I'm now 46. Yeah, but you're looking hot. You know, you look like you did when you were 20. So yeah. you'll be fine. As long as you look the same. <laughs> oh, you'll do it easy then. No, I don't know. Easy is not a word I use. It's not easy. And be under no Says illusion. she who won't do it. <laughs> Says, and, and no, no, no comment over here. <laughs> but you guys challenge yourselves in different ways. We all find different ways to extend ourselves. Mm. For me, it's always probably been physical. It's been the one way where I feel I have control mm. um, and then a lot of the time where I feel I don't have control but I then find a way to get control so mm. it's been a navigator for me it's been a it's been a beacon for me to actually use my body as a vehicle for transformation on all levels so and I don't know if I would have articulated it like that back then at 20 or mm. 21. Hindsight always gives you the language mm. and it always gives you the reason and it gives you the purpose and it gives you the explanation and the understanding and at the time, you're just participating in what's present at the moment. But when you look back on it, you can see the purpose in it mm. and how you fulfilled it and what you got out of it. Mm. So what happened then? So you, you... Well, then they told me I'd won, which was great. Everyone's clapping. And then they gave me a trophy and said, you've won a place to represent Victoria in the 24-hour championships. And it was in that moment I almost cried. And I think people thought I was crying with joy, but I was crying at the fact that I was going to have to do that all over again and twice as long. Mm. And that was frightening because I'd never been, I don't know if I'd even stayed awake for 24 hours, you know. So three months later, I was on that track and Cliffy, I'd done a few training runs with Cliffy and a few guys up in the Dandenongs at that point. And I just listened to Cliffy. He didn't say a lot. It's not like he was this amazing philosopher. He didn't talk less, but he talked simple. Like, mm. you know, just one foot in front of the other, Kim. That's all it is. Just one foot in front of the other. Don't give up. And when it hurts, get back out on the track and think of something else. Just like that. Mm. Or he'd say, um, there's people out there that can't do it. Why can't I do it for them? Or he'd say, instead of getting angry, take that anger out on moving one foot in front of the other. Put your anger into physical movement. Move, move. And so he kind of taught me basic, simple philosophies that probably, maybe I already had a little bit of that in me because of mum and her strength and, and the way we survived as a foursome, you know, through all that adversity and, and, and personal and, and financial challenges as a young family. But, you know, I really learnt the art of, of putting one foot in front of the other. But it was during that 24-hour race that I really, really got to meet me because it was in my darkest hours. It was actually, and I've never said this before, but it was during that 24-hour race between 12, noon, uh, 12 midnight and 6am that they call the graveyard shift mm. that I actually thought about my childhood and I actually really thought about the abuse I'd been through and I thought about my parents and and um, and what I'd been through and that that's when it really hit me, you know, what I, what we'd 
survived, really. Um, and what did you think about that as you were thinking about it? Like, what did you um, come to? What did you, how did you... I started thinking, why? Why me? Why, why did I get so hurt? Why, why did my mum not know? Not that I've ever blamed her, but how could she have not known? Um, why did my mum have such a tough life? Why did my mum, mum's mum die when she was such a gentle, beautiful mm. woman? Um, and my mum needed her. Why did she leave, you know? and Did you come up with any answers? Well, mum, when I was a teenager, was reading a book called, by Dr Wayne Dyer called Your Erogenous Zones. Remember that was one of his yeah, first books? Yeah, that was his yeah. first, was it? I think it yeah. was his first No, book. pulling your own strings. It's, it's, it's erroneous As zones. Erogenous, I thought. Erogenous. <laughs> Remember? I was 12. Hey, I was 12 oh when God. I saw it. <laughs> no, pulling your, own str- pulling your own strings was these first one. How funny is that? And I your saw that at erogenous zones. zones. Is I that what you not, said? I've never seen the books. Zones. It's erroneous. <laughs> it is. It is erroneous. Do we know what erogenous actually means? I don't know, but it sounds like it sounds jolly like, old. It sounds quite sexual to me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so... You, so, so I remember um, he... You know, I remember mum was searching, obviously, back at that age, and she was looking for answers. And, and I remember him saying that um, he wanted to... Be, if, if God had asked him what he wanted to be in life, you know, and he wanted to be a strong leader and he wanted to... Um, you know, foster a sense of independence, then, and his words were, well, then I might as well throw you in a foster home. You know, you'll have a tough life, you'll have an alcoholic father, and you're going to learn independence like you wouldn't believe. And I remember thinking, maybe, it was probably around that time I started questioning, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Why is it so tough for some people and other people have it so easy and I remember thinking all those things in the middle of that night in that, in that six hour period oh jeez I, I, I tell you I just and I, I I found all the parts I didn't like about me why didn't I make it into the New Zealand netball team I was useless I was hopeless I was no good why didn't Danny come how come Danny hadn't come back what, how come he hadn't come back yet I, you know like what was going on and I hadn't you know I didn't see I, I was living in Australia all my family were back in New Zealand what was I doing who am I you know what's I didn't get it and I didn't get answers it's not like I went oh my gosh stay stay true to yourself you're all cool it wasn't that it was I don't know the answer but just there's nothing what's the option I could quit and I could hide and I could pretend that I don't exist or I could do what mum and Cliffy and everyone always tells me to do and just put one foot in front of the other. So when I got rescued out of that portaloo toilet that I'd thrown a tantrum in and decided that I would get back out on the track and run, then the doctor told me when I stood on the scale that I'd lost seven kilos and I'd lost too much weight and I was too unwell and therefore I was out of the race, that in that moment a lioness appeared that I'd never seen before. Or maybe I just hadn't recognised her as much because in that moment I went, don't you dare tell me I can't run the race. Even though I was desperately dying for someone to tell me to quit and pull out mm, and I had every yeah. reason, now that he told me I had to, I didn't want to. Mm. And Cliffy was still in all this time, by the way. He kept shuffling past. So if you can just picture at the time when, in my mind, where I'm standing there and all the medical team are around me and everyone's telling me that I can't do it, all I see out the corner of my eye is Cliff Young. Mm. kept going around the track. I don't know how many laps he would have done, but I remember him just tapping his head. Tapping his head, that's all I saw out the corner of my eye. 
And I said, and I said to the doctor, I begged him, please let me get back on the track. Let me go back. I promise I'll do as I'm told. And, and it was at that moment I learned too that I don't know everything, that actually I'm not God. I'm actually not that clever. And I need to get back on the track and do as I'm told, which was to eat the, the food that I was given and drink the fluids and not to push it too hard and, you know, change my clothing. And, and I actually became a child, really, and did as I was told for the next four hours. And I did as I was told and then found myself again and... And yeah, the sun was coming up, and and I remember in my and another thing because it was Sri Chinmoy um, sponsoring the race, or you know they were the the organisers of the race, and their whole thing was you know the race is not always to the swift, but to those that keep on running. And I remember I remember I didn't even care about winning at that point. I just remember thinking I've got to finish. And someone else had said, "Why do people run twenty four hour races? What's the whole point? Why would you do it?" And someone else said. It's just to see how far man and woman can run in the cycle of the sun. And that put a whole new, different perspective mm. on it for mm. me. It wasn't about running for 24 hours. It was just how far could I push myself mm. in one cycle of the sun. And, yeah, the sun started coming up, and I remember thinking, I've got through the graveyard shift. I'm, I'm here. And then Melissa came out to me and, and Diane, and they said to me, you're two and a half Ks in front of the Victorian champion, Sandra Kerr, who was twice my age. And the lioness appeared again, and I thought, right. Even though I so desperately wanted to walk, there was something inside of me that ran. And she was running. She didn't want to be beaten by a 20-year-old, and I didn't want to be beaten by a 42-year-old, 40, and I was going to run if it killed me. And I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and then I, yeah, I won it. I won it, and not, not only did I win it, but they told me I'd set a world record being the youngest female for running 100 miles in less than 24 hours. That's amazing. So when they gave me my trophy, they then said that I had um, won a place to represent Australia. And it was in that moment that I thought, oh, my gosh, here I was wanting to play netball for New Zealand, and I'm actually going to run for Australia. How flippin' bizarre is that? And all I could think of was, well, Danny Morrison, you're playing cricket for New Zealand. I am running for Australia. <laughs> um, and it was in London, the place that I'd always wanted to get to and I hadn't got to yet. So I was so excited to be on that. And I was the only female selected. I was interviewed by Eddie Maguire um, on Channel 9 and all those guys back then, Bruce McAvaney, we all got interviewed at the um, at the Hilton Hotel where I was with Danny. So it was all these memories and it was, all, it was amazing really. And here I was now sitting in an Australian tracksuit about to go and run for Australia. How, how, how old were you when you did that? Were 21. You're 21. Mm. And so then you got over there and you ran? Yep, got over there. Cliffy was running. There was five men and me um, representing Australia and we got there and the organisers decided to try and make it more of a spectator event and they decided to put it at Milton Keynes in the shopping centre on a marble floor, which was the most ludicrous, stupid thing they could have ever done. Oh, my God. So to have all the world's top ultramarathon athletes at this 24-hour event all running on marble, I can't remember the exact number of people, but I've got the letter. Jeez, you can imagine the damage. Three, three, three people never ran again after that event. I, I found the letter the other day in, in my little glory box from the organiser of that race saying he wished he had pulled me out of the race but what he admired the most was my tenacity and my will to keep going so I was doing really well up until the 12 hour mark I was on target I wanted to run 200 k's that was my goal I wanted to hit the 200 k mark in 24 hours and I was on target at the 12 hour race at, at the 12 hour mark and then it was then that my knees both my knees were the same size as my thighs and that's when Cliffy and my medical team said you want to be able to run again. 
you don't want to you don't want to damage yourself mm. forever. And I looked at Cliffy, and Cliffy was told he shouldn't run anymore. He was too old, and, and he didn't like being told that either, just quietly. And he looked at me, and he said to me, and he, we were in the pit stop tent, he looked at me, and he gave me a wink, and he said, how about we walk it? And I went, I'm up for that. And so the two of us walked the next 12 hours together. I, I'm, I chatted to Cliff Young for 12 hours, walking around Milton Keynes Shopping Centre. <laughs> the most bizarre thing, isn't it? Who does these things? Yeah, I, I'm surprised, though, that the organisers didn't know up front that that would be the worst possible surface that they could put runners There on. was question around it from the beginning, but they wanted sponsorship, they wanted television rights, they wanted coverage. People don't care about the athlete. They, wow. want, they, want, the, they want to showcase it. It, it. You know what I find really interesting is that we started this podcast to learn about your business, mm. and it's almost like what we've spoken about is... Um, what you've done in you know what you've done through your life is probably what has created your tenacity in business, and it, it almost is that that's the more important part of what we just heard right then and there, mm. as opposed to the whole story about the business, which we will be doing. We're probably going to have to do it at another podcast, but I I just you know just listening to that. Kim, it's so funny because I know you so well that everything that you spoke about, I see you doing business. Really? It's yeah. the foundation of everything, it is. isn't it? Yeah, it is really, really the foundation. And I actually wrote down this time. So Kim normally writes down. So I got from adversity comes clarity and strength. And, you know, I know with your business, um, you know, you, you had a partner and, and, you, you know, that partner was great for you. And I'm not talking about Fleur, but that partner was great for you um, for a time. But then there was adversity there. And with that came clarity and strength for you to separate and become a sole trader. But we'll talk about that because I think, you know, I think your whole journey with your, your business is amazing. Have a Pollyanna view on life, which you do, you know, when you go to one of your sparkle parties um, you come away from one of your sparkle parties you with know, a poly and, and a view on life. life. <laughs> you do. You, you think not, everything's not have great. that rub off. Yeah, you're right. Dream big. You know, and where you're going at the moment with your business, you are dreaming big. And you've just had your best month. Mm. Be active. Well, you never stop. <laughs> <laughs> you never stop. You know, like... I can get a text from you at 4.30 in the morning. Remember that text we got oh, from her at 4.30? God. It woke me up. Oh. Sorry, girl. Usually I turn my phone off, but <laughs> this time I'd left it on. Did you remember that? I can't remember what it was. But... It's because of that text I turned my phone off. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the best of all. Learn how to sell to the Arabs. Ah. Yeah, because you were talking – sell oil to the Arabs. Because you were – what were you talking about? Um – to sell anything, uh, I can't remember oh, what it was. And travel, and I wanted to get my first oh, class ticket. Oh, that's right. You wanted to get, and you just oh, you, you locked, locked the doors the and let you lock the doors. And there was this guy that came in. He came in one day. and He goes, "Oh, I was wondering if you could tell me the one way through to Ireland." I said, "Oh, sure, take a seat." He goes, "Oh my God, are you from Ireland?" I said, "No, no, I'm not." And I used to, but I might be coming there soon. But we used to laugh so much working in travel, and it, it, we were tenacious. We were determined to go to Perth together. 
and we were going to make people buy tickets. Really? See, like I said, learn how to sell oil to the Arabs. He, he wanted to go to Ireland. He already... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was... Whatever I, it takes. Whatever it takes is right. Um, be a skanky $2 crack whore. And the world is your oyster. The world is your oyster. putting it out there. Be in the right place at the right time. Ah. Ah. Well, I think I, I've learnt... That where you are is always the right place. Right place, place. exactly. Yeah. yeah, because you're in the right place to meet Danny and you're in the right place to meet Cliffy mm. and you're in the right place to do all your training that then eventuated in you having your business, which was the aromatherapy, wasn't it? Is that, is that when you did the aromatherapy training? Yeah, and, and while I was in London, I'll say this, when I was running for Australia, it was on Danny's birthday. So it was on the 3rd of February 1990, and I was thinking about him a lot during that 12 hours with Cliffy. And, um, but you, Cliffy and but Danny, you hadn't seen him. <laughs> Sorry. Had you? I hadn't seen Danny, no. No. I, but and, I was thinking of him. And Cliffy and Danny don't look anything alike. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> Cliffy was, he was like, you know, you just got to go out there and get what you want. You, you, just, you just don't give up. You just, <gasps> and I kept thinking of Danny and thinking, hmm, I want him. I really want him, but he doesn't. Know that he he doesn't know that I'm the right one for him yet. I need to make him realise that I'm the right one for him. Um, and isn't it funny? I thought that he would be impressed by me running for Australia. Um, oh, maybe that was the whole reason why she ran. Was maybe, the, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe. I don't know. Interesting. Um, and the next one is sometimes surrender to the rescue. Mm. Mm, I have beautiful. Mm, I, I got that. Um, it's okay to lose yourself and find yourself again. Mm. Those um, toilet moments. Yes, those toilet Those graveyard moments. shifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's something really profound in that, you know, because to find yourself you have to be lost first. That's true. You have to be willing to lose yourself mm. in order to find yourself. And I think that that's what your story certainly points to, is that you put yourself in a situation where you totally lost yourself. But that was necessary because what came out of that was a new level of you, you know, a new version of you. Mm. And then lastly, the race is not always to the swift, but to those who persist. Is that what you... Look, I'm trying right, man. It was persist, wasn't it? But to those that keep on going. Yeah. Mm. So um, it was so funny. As I'm listening to you, I I was. I was thinking, this all prepared you to have your own business, be a sole trader, and um, be the success that you are, that you had your best month. You know, you say that I'm a sole trader and, and... yeah, I mean, everything has led to me, you know, having the business now. And But there's still, like, both of you, you know, this, this, it still takes a team to create, you know, especially where I'm at now with how big the business is getting and how much it's growing and how fast it's growing. There's, there's people around me that make that happen. You know, it's not just me. But I think what it's given me is the ability to be me mm. um, and to actually... Um, I, I haven't got my wings clipped anymore by anybody. In fact, if anything, I clip my own wings. And I know perhaps sometimes now maybe that's maturity, maybe that's wisdom, maybe that's having girls like you in my life, feedback from beautiful listeners and, and customers that keep me accountable, keep me real, keep me honest, and also keep me wanting to strive, like give me the next challenge. You know, like when Kaz said to me, we're $180 off our best month. This mo- uh, she only said it this afternoon, just before you girls arrived. And I was like, right. So I decided one of the feedbacks that I'd had 
I just received a beautiful testimonial from someone. I thought, I'm going to share that, all about the beautiful firming iron lip cream. And I put that on Facebook, and we've just had $700 worth of orders come in. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, we we just nailed that baby. You know, like I kind of, it's not that I look at money from a greed perspective. I look at it as an energy that the more I can create, the more I can give. And the more I can give, the more I can have an implant or an imprint on this planet and create some sort of a legacy, particularly for my children. You know, I want them to see that anything's possible. My mum always told me, she, she always said, you know, don't have regrets. She always said, don't marry too young, don't have children too young. And she always followed that up with, I would never regret having you guys. But don't have children to you and see the world. They were, they were her things that were really big to her because she never got that opportunity, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think whilst my mum missed out on a lot of things that I've done, she also is a very young grandmother now and, and it's, it's wonderful having a young mum and a young dad, really. So I think we've gained, you know. So I think, I think it does. It does give you perspective when you... I, I love that, what you were saying before about hindsight, you know. Sometimes, it's, even doing this interview, I had no idea where this was going to go. But, you know, I keep... I don't know if I've finished, but, you know, there I was thinking of Danny in London. I kept dreaming and visualising that he would wake up and smell the coffee and realise that I was the only one. Um, and we were both in other relationships, by the way. We were both had moved on and, well, I don't know if moved on, but we'd moved along. And um, and then there I was back in, in Melbourne after this world record race and I was just about to finish my aromatherapy diploma and the guy I was living with and in relationship with, never let me out of his sight. He was very controlling. And in one podcast, we were talking about money. He was the one that was taking all my money and banking it, I thought, but actually hadn't. And um, this one day that he was called into the hospital, into the city, was the day that Danny phoned the clinic. And I answered the phone. And I got a nickname in the <laughs> in the New Zealand cricket team. It was my my maiden name's Talbot, and I, the nickname was Tiger Talbot because I had accidentally scratched Danny's neck with my nails, and they all joked that I was a bit of a tiger, and and it was just a silly joke. <laughs> they should but, have said tart, but, but, but began with T, T T T, and um, T T T, and anyway, and I answered the phone to the the school that I was now a director and an owner of. And they were, and, and I go, hello. And he goes, Tiger Talbot, well, I just about died. And he said, I'm in Melbourne. And I, and I knew he was in Melbourne because I'd seen it on the news. And, um, and I'd seen him on the news that night going, um, yeah, the wicket's pretty sticky. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, he's got such a Kiwi accent. <laughs> and, oh, um, goodness <laughs> me. And, um, and he just goes, look, I've got the day off tomorrow. I'm going to come and see you. And I went, are you kidding? And it was that day that my partner at the time had to go into the city and I can't, I, I mean, how did the universe mm-hmm. oh, that happen? Doesn't mm-hmm. And he came out and he said, and he just looked at me and he goes, I'm ready for you. I want you to come home. And then I did the, well, maybe I'm not ready for you. <laughs> I gave it that inside. I'm going, yeah. <laughs> but I had just been invited to run for Australia on the Great Wall of China. And how old were you then? 21. This was just oh, all in wow. a space of a few wow. months. And I had just won a place to run for Australia on the Great Wall of China. 
How cool. Yeah. 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 yeah, that would be cool. And I knew I wanted to do that, and I had my reflexology diploma to finish and my aromatherapy diploma to finish. And I said to him, oh, well, I, I can't quite do that just yet. And I think he, and he's even to this day said, he couldn't believe I said no. So I'm saying to you girls, say no. Um, <laughs> just occasionally. Say no. Yeah. See, tarts no. can say, say no too. say no too. <laughs> and because mum always said that, don't ever come cheap. Don't ever make yourself really available and don't ever make it easy for them. Sorry, boys, but you need to work for it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so... I ended up, but then ironically, three weeks later, I'd finished my diplomas and um, passed and, and did really well. And then the sponsorship pulled on the China Wall Race. And I really didn't know what to do because I was scared. Actually, in that moment, I got scared. I didn't know whether to go back to New Zealand or not because he's a cricketer, top sportsman. These guys shouldn't be trusted. Do I go back? Do I stay? I've got my own college. I've got all these people that I teach and, and now I'm doing really well here. And it was a beautiful woman, Margie, who was a bit like an adopted mum for me in Melbourne. She turned around and she, she knew something was up. It was just so beautiful. And she pulled me aside at this function we were at. And she said, my darling, you don't have to tell me everything, but I just want you to know I'm here if you need someone to talk to. And it was in that moment I burst into tears. I'd been so strong about everything and so together. And the minute someone shows them compassion, I lost mm. it. So she asked me what was going on. I told her all about Danny. I'd never talked about Danny because, of course, I couldn't talk to her him about to anyone really and she sat there and she looked at me and she goes right we're sitting in a restaurant together and you've just looked up and your partner right now has just walked in the door what would you do and I went oh I'd go oh hi and she goes oh hi yeah that was big and I went <laughs> oh why and she goes well now tell me what you do if Danny walked in the door and I went oh and I blushed and I went my heart I, I, I couldn't actually breathe and I went oh I don't know what I'd do and she goes mm. Mm. She goes, my darling, it may not work out if you go back to New Zealand, but if you don't, you will spend the rest of your life wondering uh, what if. Mm, yeah. And it was in that moment I decided, and three weeks later I was on a plane and I moved back to New Zealand and, and we got engaged that Christmas. That was February 91, and we got engaged that Christmas and married in April 93. And how long, ago, how long after that did you have your first have Taylor? We both decided while Danny was playing cricket for New Zealand that we wouldn't have children because we'd seen other families have children mm. and try to be international sports families. And whilst it worked for some people, it didn't work for others, and I didn't want, I didn't want that. Mm. I, didn't, I wanted to focus everything on him. I'd been studying a lot around food, nutrition, um, physicality. We'd been, we'd been to Kyra. We, we had a, our team. My goal, I felt, was to keep Danny on the park. Keep his body was earning us money, and therefore I wanted to make sure I learnt the most I could with the skills I had to keep him there. So that was around nutrition, exercise, rehabilitation, massage, chiropractic, osteopathic, naturopathic, homeopathic, and they were the, the all the modalities. And dentist, we actually worked with a tendomandibular joint specialist to help Danny with his jaw because he felt it was the jaw causing problems on the neck, causing problems on the thoracic, which caused his um, lumbar. Um, it's called spondylolithesis. He had that. So I just learnt a lot about keeping him on the park. And I loved it. I loved being his right-hand man. You see, there I was again. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like you'd been for Cliffy. when And for Mum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You were always there. Yeah, and yeah. I loved it. And I learnt from these people. You know, I learnt mm. from them. And I learnt that I could contribute by giving. Mm. You know, and, and I got more out of giving than I got out of taking, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. Um 
and that was a really beautiful thing. So for us, we, we had five years of travelling the world and being yeah. an international, in a way, Danny, I mean, Danny was a celebrity, yeah. you know, back home. He was, we were on the cover of magazines for our babies and our, our wedding. Any wedding. Our, <laughs> it's amazing. Love the fluff. The fluff. I had a poodle haircut. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know. I did. Had, had big hair. I did, and I had puffy sleeves. <laughs> it was a taffeta. Yeah, no, no, crystal, 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 crystal <laughs> <and> <laughs> ivory silk. <laughs> with tea-stained bridal dresses. They're just bridesmaids. Oh no, no, no. But yeah, worry. it was an incredible, incredible journey. But I learnt from. I, I guess I learnt independence, and and I've I have not worked for anyone else since I left travel. At 19 years of age, I've always worked for myself. Yeah, I've mm. always been contracted, loved it. Probably didn't like being told what to do. In fact, I don't think all three of us like being told what no, to do. No, 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 not an option. No, no, no. no. Well, there is <laughs> powerful in all three of us. There is a little <laughs> bit of choleric going on in there. Um, but, yeah. Well, I, you know what? I, I really like to do another one and just learn about, you know, your journey with business. So um, whether we do it next week... Or whether we do it um, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, because I think it's really like your journey because you started with a partnership with Fleur, a beautiful Fleur, and you had the most stunning partnership with her. And I just think it'd be really nice to, you know, talk about that and the highs and the lows and the and the angsts and the and everything that happened. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, Yeah, I think that would be really cool because I think what we've done tonight is uh, to talk about. Like your your upbringing and your background and how you got together with Danny because he's been such a significant part of your journey and your ride. So I think that's been like yeah. a perfect build up. But I think it would also be really cool to say, well, okay, now we've had the kids, and when did you start thinking that you know the partnership was necessary? How did that all happen? Because even that's a beautiful story mm. about how you and Fleur connected. Mm. Um, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah it'd be awesome. Well, be let's good. do that. Mm. Let's do that. Definitely. Yeah. Let's do that. Definitely. So hopefully this podcast has been nothing short of insightful and inspiring. It certainly has been for us, I think. There's so many lessons in life that you've shared with us here tonight, Kim, that's, as Cindy said, it's like it's like the foundation. It's the platform from which you've launched your whole life and still continue to do. And I loved one thing that I got out of your childhood was that you, I don't know if you said it or if I just picked it up, but our childhood makes us. We become who we are because of our childhood, either because it was good or because it was bad, but it makes us who we are. And it, it brings out our, our greatest strengths and our greatest sources of survival and our greatest sources of thriving. And I think that that's really powerful and I'm really keen to explore that more when we talk about your business. So join us here. Oh, no, 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 let's not do that yet. Go to the Facebook page <laughs> at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments about our beautiful Kimby. Or you can also post your com- comments on allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And you can post your comments there as well. And make sure that you tune in next week and join us here on Up For A Chat and be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. 
Impossible Ones Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Ones Couch podcasts.